If you would please open up your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. We'll be picking back up where we left off last week there in verse 12 of chapter 4. Now I'm going to read chapter uh, verse 11 as well because it ties very nicely and flows into the rest of the context of the scripture and flow for those who are taking notes. If you remember, the writer to the believing Hebrews were being encouraged to continue in their walk by faith in Jesus Christ alone. They were being tempted. They were being tested. They were being troubled by the uh, Judaizers that were following around. Those who were into religiosity and not a relationship with Jesus. It was, they were being pressured at all levels. Because when you became a Christian in those times, you were ousted out of the synagogue. You were ousted in society. The people who did not, if you walked away and you were the only one that gave your life to Jesus, the rest of your family would disown you because you're no longer walking as a, as a Jewish believer, as a Jew versus a Jewish believer. You know, this person now knows who they've been talking about in the Old Testament is now in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And I know that's the Messiah now. And so it brings such a fullness, a completeness of what they, the Jews knew in the Old Testament is now complete. It's no longer just a shadow. It is real. He's right there in front of us. God took on skin just like you and I. And not everyone got that, right? Their eyes were blinded. Now, for those who gave their life to Jesus, it may have seemed so good and so exciting. Yes, this is the Messiah that I've finally been waiting for. He saved me. I'm forgiven of my sins. I am going to heaven. I have the security of going to heaven. I don't have to work my way to heaven. I don't have to do all these good jobs and good works and check off lists that I prayed a certain amount of times. I read the Bible a certain amount of times. I've gone to the synagogue a certain amount. Of times. That has all been paid for and complete because of my trust my belief my faith in Jesus Christ alone and his finished work on the cross hallelujah that's why we sang hallelujah hallelujah do you even know why you sang hallelujah that we sing hallelujah did you even know that that's why we sing it but do you even know why you were singing those words hallelujah because if you're a believer you do understand that if you're sitting there today and you're a non-believer or a Christian in name only, then you don't understand why you say hallelujah. But I hope after today, in the hearing of the word, my prayer right now is, Lord, Holy Spirit, move in a mighty way and touch each and every mind here sitting, listening, or online. That he would speak to you in such a unique way that there's no question in your mind that God spoke to you. I, that's my prayer. Every time we come here and gather and read the word, I want him to speak to you directly, so much so that it will shake you how clearly, how the word of God can penetrate the heart. And we're going to study that today. It's, it's one of the best passages we see here in Hebrews. But we know that the writer of Hebrews, uh, the writer to the Hebrews, 
understood that through these new believers in Jesus Christ, he, Jesus is the Messiah, that they were being tested and troubled and all kinds of pressure from society and family and their co-workers, everyone that says, what are you doing? Don't, don't be following Jesus as Messiah. Stick with what we know. This is tradition. Stick with the traditions. Stick with the, 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 the normal things we've been doing for centuries. You know, why were you changing like this? And it was causing these believers to drift away from the belief of what the Word of God says. They were, heart was starting to harden toward the things of the truths from the Word of God. And that happens still today, my brothers and sisters. You come to Jesus, you're so excited, but then all of a sudden, what do you mean you walk it away from that denomination and now you, your focus is on Jesus? Why, what do you mean you, you're not going to be partying and doing drugs with us? I mean, you've, you're now a Jesus freak. What, do you, what is going on here? Are you, we're cutting you off. No more parties for you. You're not invited to the, the one-year-old birthday parties anymore because we don't want you around because you're always talking about Jesus. I understand. We've all been there as believers. But let me encourage you. Don't let that trouble your heart. You are on the right path following Jesus. It's they that are blinded. And by your walk, it's going to speak volumes to the hearts of those who do not know Jesus as a personal Savior. And they will, they'll see your life and they're going to say, I want what you have. I want that peace in my life I've never had. I want that joy deep within that I've never had. I want such close relationships that they don't use me. They actually want to just give to me and pour into my life now. I, I, I was around so many people who just take, 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 take. And now I'm around people who just want to give, 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 give. I mean, that's, that speaks volume to the, the society that's in turmoil. Did you not know that? Now, having completed this exposition or explanation there in the previous chapter, in the beginning of this chapter, in Psalm 95, the writer now talks about the, the fact that Israel's failure to enter God's rest because they weren't willing to completely surrender their lives. They were starting to walk away from the truths of God. They were looking to go back into the religiosity. They were looking to go back into traditions. They were looking to go back and not focus on Jesus as a Messiah but look to the church to somehow save them. Look to the priest to somehow save them. So, because when you don't want to see God, when you don't want to actually go into his presence and really hear from God, do you know what you do? Do you know what I do when we don't want to hear the truths of God? You will stop going to Jesus directly, you will go to your Savior and talk to him about anything. You'll stop praying. That means then you will stop reading the Word of God. And if you stop reading the Word of God, it's only eventually you will stop fellowshipping with godly people. It is, that's the pattern. That is a sign of you drifting away from the foundations and the solid belief. You have unbelief have crept into your heart. You have a hardening of heart 
that we spoke of. I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm giving a reflection back to chapters one and two that we and what we've been going through. The two warnings: be very careful as a Christian you don't drift away, and don't let your hearts get hardened. And all because of unbelief or disobedience or a rebellious nature that the scripture was talking about in the first few chapters of Hebrews. So the writer here is now explaining this. And as we take a look at verse 11 where we left off last week, we did cover 11, but I'm going to bring this in here. It says, let us, because we're going to see in our verses today, three let us, let us, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a command, let us, it's an action. This is not debatable. It's let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest that lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Or another word there in your Bible may say unbelief. If you're not careful and you're not diligent keeping your eyes on Jesus, staying in the word of God so he can speak to you because that's how he speaks to you. And be in the fellowship to be around godly people. You are not going to stay diligent. What will happen is you'll become very selfish with your time. And you'll become selfish and you'll drift and you'll harden. And that's why he says, I love these verses here. As we get into verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of the joint and marrow. And as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I love how God helps you and I as a believer. If we find ourselves getting squirrely in our minds and, and the world is having a pull on us and the, and the demonic forces are having a pull on you or you're starting to get emotionally unstable and you're going back and reliving the past traumas and all the things and uncertainties in the future and what's the turmoil going on in our world today? God says, hey, my word, the word of God is living and powerful. Those two words are very important now. Because you can be alive, but be absolutely frozen or paralyzed and do nothing. You can be alive, but be frozen or, or paralyzed in where you're at in your life right now. But God says to you and I, if we're in the word of God, it is living and powerful. It will speak to your heart individually and collectively as a body of believers. will speak to you like he's right there talking in your head. And it's not only just alive, but it's active. That's what this alive and powerful, it's active. You can have a toaster. Oh, a beautiful, forced, wide-bodied toaster, man, and you love your toast. It's there. But if it's not plugged in with power, it's what? Produces nothing. It's the same with the word of God. God uses his word with the Holy Spirit and the power. And the Holy Spirit uses his word to be actively speaking to you. And he's doing that right now. 
that he, you and I cannot ignore. There is a God in heaven and he loves you and he wants to bless you. He wants to come into your life and speak to you and help you. Living and powerful. And continues to go on and gives another. And it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. And of joints and marrow. That's how deep it will go. Now if you look at that, if you know the Greek word here for the word sword, it is a small dagger. Lots of people sword, oh, give me the sword and let's start swinging, you know, the word of God. No, it is a dagger so sharp and it can pierce right in to the point and where it needs to happen. Now, many times when you read this, you immediately sit there. You think God is going to use the word to slash me and, you know, cut me up and do a, just, just chop on me. But that's not the context of the scripture here for these verses. What he's saying in the context, if you go back and look at the context we've been talking about, he says, I will take my word and I will take it and I'm going to pierce you in a way to reveal to you your unbeliefs toward him. God doesn't use his word to slash and cut and divide and, and bang on your head. He uses the word of God like a precision surgeon that knows exactly how to make that beautiful cut. And yes, conviction is part of the cut. You know how many times over the years of 10 years, how many people tell me, I, I don't like feeling convicted when I come to that, your church. That is a very, very bad place for you to be in. We all want God to do a surgical work in our hearts and cut anything out that is not of God. Because the same great physician who takes this and cuts the cancer of unbelief out of you is the same one who gives you the antidote and the salve and whatever it takes to heal you and mend you and make you new. So many people go, I only want to go to this part, and then they never allow God to work on their hearts to do the healing part. But God says, I want to heal you. I want to do a work, great work in you. And I am, and as a believer, he says, I'm going to start a new work in you, and I'm going to be faithful to what? Finish that work in you. So as we take a look at it, the word of God is here as we study the word. Why do we study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, all 66 books? And that's our emphasis in this ministry is because the word of God transforms your mind. Nothing else out there will do it. Nowhere in the word it says music will transform your mind. Doing good works for God and, and helping lots of people and giving lots of money doesn't transform your life. But the power of the Holy Spirit in conjunction with the word of God will go right down to the depths of your soul and spirit, even to the bone and marrow, just like the bone and marrow. Well, look, look at the other description here. 
the word of God is, and is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. That's exactly what's going to happen. How many times have we said, oh, yes, oh, of course, yes, I, I'll praise the Lord. Yep. But inside, your thoughts like, I am not going to do that. There's no way will I ever be doing that. And no, I'm not going to do this. And, I'm gonna... and no one knows any better because you've got that facade smile on you that you Christianity that makes you look like it. You almost even smell like a Christian, whatever that is. Baked goods. But, but, you know, we call ourselves calorie chapel at times here. You know, we have people who can really cook. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. But the word of God, you may fool everybody else and you may even actually fool yourself. Because you talk to yourself so many times, you think you talk to God, but you're really just talking to yourself. And you talk to yourself so much, you convince yourself that this, whatever it is, is right and it's good and acceptable. Until you're in the word of God. And then God takes his word and he puts his Big little finger right on the spot in your life and says, let me put a little pressure out there to recognize how you see and hear from me that what you're thinking is not pleasing me. So many times, why do I feel like this pressure on me? I was like, go to God and say, Lord, if there's any wicked way in me, please, by your word, reveal it to me so I can confess it and make my, right, my life right with you so that I don't, I don't want to have the pressure of God's hand on me. It's like, you know, like a little boy. And it's like, oh, no, Dad's coming home. Mom's going to tell Dad. I know he's going he's gonna to find out. And then Dad comes in and just kind of puts his hand on, on your back, son. Why don't you and I take a walk? Because we need to have a conversation. Mom told me. That's the pressure of God's hand on you. And as a child of God, he's not going to let you stray. He doesn't want you to get hurt. He's going to put his hand of loving pressure on you to get your attentions and may bring a test in your life to get your attention so that you can recognize that you're not pleasing him in everything we say and do. We're not in his will. We're in your own will. And so the word of God knows. I don't know. I don't know all your lives. Unless you share it with me, I wouldn't know. But I don't have to know. Because I know the Holy Spirit is using the word of God to discern your thoughts right now. And your intents of your heart. Are you going to believe what the word of God says? And you're going to do it. You're not going to be just hearers of the word of God, but doers of the word as James says. But you, I don't have to know this. I don't have to pressure you to do anything. I'll encourage you to do it as a pastor. I will demonstrate it. I will get you around people who are living it. But only God can sit there and into your thoughts and into your intents of your heart. Only he can show that. That is why I said again. If you find yourself, I don't want to pray, I really can, I don't want to be in the word of God, I really don't want to be around Christian people, then you have to check your heart. You really need to check your heart. Because what you're doing is like many people, 
they run versus letting willingly let God change them because they're so rebellious in what they want to continue to do even if it goes against the word of God. But it's living and powerful, sharper, piercing, discerner. You cannot get away from God knowing you. He knows you. And then we continue. We get down here in verse 13, and there is no creature hidden from his sight. No one can hide from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So when you take a look at this and you see this, God can, there's an inner man and there's an outer man. The outer man makes, you know, it's the flesh. It's the outside people see and, and you can kind of create your own little reality. And, but, you know, it's, but no one knows the inner man. Eventually we'll see it come out in the outer man by your words you say, the actions you take, where you go, what you do with your life. People can see the outside. But the inner man that God is using the word of God to pierce and to show and reveal to your thoughts and your intents. We see here in verse 13, the writer says, no creature is hidden from him. Do you know God sees all things? Do you know God knows all things? Do you know he's all powerful? Do you know that of your God? So why would we try to fool dad? Dads know everything, right? That's always told our girls. Now, where are you guys going? Oh, we're going to just friends. We're just going out. And I always said, God sees all things, knows all things. He's everywhere. And he tells dads everything. I, oh, ever since they were so I said, God speaks to me, man. So girls, you go out. God speaks to me. He's going to reveal things. So just, just be mindful that God sees all things. He's going to tell me everything. When you have that set of mind, as you walk by day, by faith, in the will of God, God, I know what your, this day is like. What is it going to be like? And then you sit there and you kind of play around with your friends. It's like, oh, yeah, we're, we're, this is going to be fine. I'm, we're good. I'm walking with the Lord. Everything's fine. But when you know the scripture, that you may want to go hide in your little secret room or go hide on your next little adventure, it may hide from others, but you don't hide from God. Your Heavenly Father sees all things. And from His sight, He sees all things. And they're not just, oh, I think I see Him. I can, I can, tell, I can tell Corey by his bald head. Yeah, 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 the shiny little beacon from above. No, that's not happening. He says, Corey, I can see your nakedness. I can see... You're completely open. The Greek, ancient Greek word here, trotekalizo, is a term only used here in this verse, in this word right here. And it means like a, a wrestler grappling or, or someone's being resisted where they take them and they put them in a position and they hold their head back and their neck is fully exposed and controlled. He says... I am in control of seeing every inch of you. Nothing is hidden from me. Now, when you know that God sees all things, and you're naked, an 
controlled and open and vulnerable, you need to come to the conclusion of what? Are you willing to completely tap out and submit to God? He's got you in a hold. You're not going anywhere. Are you willing to tap out? I surrender. I submit my life to you, God. The next question I always ask when I first was a believer is, why would I do that? I'm a controller. Why would I do that? I've got everything in order. All my 10-year plan, 5-year plan, I don't want that messed up here. The reason why you give it up, why you submit, is because we submit to a loving and good Father who only wants what's good for his children. That's who we submit to. Do you, do you believe that? In your relationship with God, do you see God as a good and loving father? Or do you see him as someone who is about to beat you? Or judge you or condemn you? God didn't send his son to condemn the world. He sent his son to save you. That's how much your heavenly father loves you. Why? Because he knows and sees all things. He knows the intents of your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows everything going down deeper than even you. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God knows your heart better than you. You think you know the heart. You think you know the heart of other people. You do not because the scripture tells us your heart is so deceitful and wicked. Apart from me, you can do nothing that is going to be of any value for eternity. God sees your hearts. and We don't always know what is, is there in your hearts. That's why I always encourage people. And they say, Pastor, I don't know what to do. Should I do this? And I give that relationship and stuff. What's your intent? They don't always tell me that what they really believe in saying. <laughs> you know, they may be asking, can you solve this problem for me? But, well, what's your intent? What's your heart? What's your, what, what, what do you even go down this path with? Well, you know, and you always come up with some excuse. That's fine. But if you're in the word, which I'm going to guide you back to the word, the word will separate your really, truly, your thoughts and intents. Then you and I are held responsible once God tells you what to do. Are you going to be obedient and follow through with it? That's, that's the part. That's our part. But he's going to show you clearly. He's going to reveal it. God uses his word to enable us to see the sin and unbelief in our hearts even when we don't see it. How many times have you said to someone, boy, you're, you're so prideful. And the person responds, I'm not prideful. What do you think I'm a prideful? Because they don't even see it in their own life. They don't see what's going on. They're just, they're just drifting. They're just hardening of their hearts. They've walked away from the word of God. They've walked away from Christian fellowship. They've walked away from a prayer life.
But the writer here to the Hebrews says the word of God will expose our hearts to what really is happening in your heart. And then if we trust God, the word enables our hearts to obey God and follow through with what God has us to do. And we will claim his promises for ourselves. This is why each believer should be diligently to apply what God teaches them in and through and by his word. Because the writer is really bringing this full circle here because he's not doing it only of the fact that he's reminding us of the truths of God. And the reader here to the Hebrews, to the readers who are reading this, that's you and I today, is reminding that like all Christians, we are to hear and to heed God's word in our lives. And that someday we're going to stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ. The Bema seat. Where all the things that we did, all the thoughts and all the intents and all the uh, thoughts and intentions of our hearts, every good deed, all the things you think you did for life, all of that is going to get sorted out by the Lord. We see that in Romans chapter 14 verses 10 through 12. We see that also noted in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10. That we are going to stand in front of Christ and give our account of our lives. To God himself almighty. That's why we have every reason. When you know and believe the word of God and Jesus as your Messiah. That we know we can hold firm to the truths of God. Of the faith that we profess, Jesus is Messiah. And he is the word. And he is living and powerful and piercing and a discerner of all of our thoughts. That is our Savior. That's who we worship. That's who we go to in time of need, as we will see at the end of these verses. We can enter into his rest by trusting his word and obeying his will. We know that we can do this as we listen to his word, understand his word, trust his word, and obey his word. We know that we are on the right track. And it's only if we do these things that we can claim the inheritance of Christ. The blessings, the, 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 what God wants to do in and through your life as a Christian here on this earth. The writer continues in verse 14 and he takes us to another wonderful position of who Christ Jesus is in our life. And he says... Seeing then that that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So we see in this verse the second, let us. Again, command, let us hold. Verse 11 was what? Let us therefore be diligent. So we need to be diligent. We also need to hold fast our confession. 
Why? Because Jesus is our great high priest. Do you know in the scripture there's only one place that we see and the only person that has the title of great high priest is Jesus and that's his here. Aaron was never called a great high priest. Called a high priest. Nowhere else in the scriptures. Only Jesus has the title of a great high priest that we see even as a writer here. He's also who passes through the heavens. When he ascended, he went through this, 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 this movement of passing through the atmospheric heavens, in through the planetary heavens, into the third heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Heavenly Father and sits there and intercedes for you and I. We see that in the scripture clearly as can be. Go back in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 2. How Jesus now ministers to you and I as a believer. Intercedes for you. Not for his sake, but for your sake. That's why you and I are to hold fast our confession. Don't let anyone in anything weaken your and have unbelief creep back into your life. Don't allow that disobedience or rebellious heart against the things of God to creep back in. We have to protect our minds. We have to protect our lives. And we have to protect men, our wives and our children. We must be diligent in praying for our families. Not only is he a great high priest, not only does our high priest pass through the heavens, we see that no other high priest is the Son of God. Oh, how many religions are out there, and even those who call themselves Christians don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. Now some of you are like, oh, come on, are you kidding I'm glad you're sheltered. <laughs> I'm glad you're, you're so focused that you, have no, you don't have time to be listening to the foolishness and craziness that goes on around you. But it does. They'd rather have a little brown man with a big belly and rub his belly and call him Buddha. You know, it's, it's insane to me. Who's dead? Our Savior is alive and powerful and piercing like a sword and is a discerner of thoughts. No other God of any religion is alive. We worship a live Savior. And He's our high priest who we pass through with the heavens to be the sitting in the throne of God the throne of grace, interceding and blessing and involved in every aspect of your life. We see in the scriptures, God knows how many hair is on your head. Nothing misses his details. He's the great high priest who ministers to you and to I that's why we can hold on, hold fast to our confession that Jesus is Messiah. 15, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize 
with our weaknesses, but with all points tempted as we are yet without sin. This is an important verse here because so many times we say, how can Jesus really understand the situations I find myself in? We find ourselves going around looking for other people in the congregation or, or they'll even pick strangers. Matter of fact, some of you go on Facebook and talk to people who you think are your best friends because they, they, they friend you on Facebook. So you have friendship. You'll ask people all kinds of opinions and believe what they put out there before you'll actually go to your Savior and ask Him. That is a bad sign, my brothers and sisters. I want to encourage you. That is not a slam. That is a warning to you how quickly you can get deceived. But here we understand that our high priest, our great priest, cannot, who cannot sympathize, who can, and is willing and understanding what is happening in your life. Even down to the feelings, the weaknesses, that's the Greek word there, is the deep feelings, the soul of who you are, the deepest sorrowful pain that you're going through, Jesus understands. Why? Because he was at all points tempted. Remember in the wilderness, he was tempted. Those three great attempts by Satan to get him to fall to sin, which he did not, are the three that can be summarized for all the things that we deal with in regards to temptation of sin. Now let me make something real simple for you here. The writer is, has outlined for us earlier part in this letter that Jesus' deity was proven. We see that in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 through 14. He is fully God. We also see in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 18, that the writer showed his compassionate humanity. Why? Because he was fully man. So being fully God and fully man, so many people, if you don't understand that doctrinal truth, then you'll go off track and unbelief and understanding of who your Savior is. Because if you think he's just God, then you say, of course he didn't sin. He was God. But if you thought he was just only uh, fully human and not God, then you say, well, he, you know, somehow he you know, had the still some kind of aspect, and I don't know how he did it, but I can't do it. But let me tell you, the scripture is very clear to you and I. He sympathizes. He understands more than you know why. Let me give it simple. When you're tempted to sin... You and I do not know how much pain it is or suffering to follow through and not sin. Let that sink in a little bit. Jesus was tempted by the forces of Satan himself and he did not fall to sin. He had no relief other than using the word of God to fight back what the temptation was. He had to take the full blunt of that temptation. Most of us, you're tempted and you're like, I can't handle this. I don't know if I can stop myself. You just give in to it because you don't want to deal with it anymore. Jesus didn't do that. 
When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and about the time when God the Father was going to be placing all the sins of the world on his shoulders, what did he say? Father, if there's any other way, let this cup of wrath pass before me. Because now Jesus was faced for the very first time sin being placed on him and the separation of the father for the very first time turning his back toward his son because God cannot stare upon sin. But Jesus said, if this is the way, Father, I will do it out of obedience and according to your will and the purpose why you've sent me. And he died for you. On that cross, that sin was paid for. You have been pardoned. Jesus was buried. He was resurrected. And then he ascended in through all the heavens so that he's alive and powerful and discerning and sharper in a two-edged sword to help intercede in your life. To help you with your unbelief. Not to cut you up and do all kinds of things because you're just out there flailing as a child of God. He says, no, I'm going to lovingly come in and I'm just, I'm not going to chop you up to find what's wrong with you. I know exactly what's wrong with you and I can cut it so precisely to the point of where your sin is that needs to come out. And he puts his finger right there with that sword. The question is, will you then confess it and say, God, You've revealed something in my heart I did not know. Forgive me. He says, I did. I died for it on the cross. Do you rest in the fact that your sins have been paid for? Or let me ask you this question. Or are you one of those Christians who because you believe that by the grace of God you have been forgiven, gives you some kind of license to go out and freely sin? You know that's not biblical. Do you know that is completely against the will of God and doesn't please him? For you to think you have the license to go sin freely to do whatever you want to do. No, he didn't die for you so you could freely rebel against him to have a hard heart. He says, I died for you to make a way for you so that you could come boldly into the throne of grace. That is why he did it. It, it, look right here. He even says it here. Look at verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you ever have a time of need in your life? Hello? One of you? How many of you had a time where you had need? It should be daily, right? The word of God says, here's our third let us. Let us therefore come boldly. Not only are we to come diligently, right? Not only are we see in the scripture, are we to, uh, I just lost the verse here. Let us hold, let us hold fast. But we see the third here, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. That why? 
Why do we want to go boldly into the throne? Why do we want to go into God's presence in the state of need? We see here clearly that we may obtain given mercy. What is mercy? What is mercy? Mercy is not receiving what we should be given. Not receiving what we should be given. And we can find grace. What is grace? We will be given something that we do not deserve. Let me give you a word picture. You're absolutely in jail. Locked up for life. Death sentence. Today's the day you're going to the electric chair to pay for the penalty of your murder. Some guy in a suit shows up. How are you feeling today? Well, I'm going to die here and I'm, you know, nervous. I don't think it's right. No, I deserve it. Whatever it may be, you're running in your thoughts. And the guy in the suit says, you're free. You've been pardoned. You've been forgiven. You owe nothing, you're free. We're going to open, get, they're opening up here, you're free. You're not going to die today. How would that make you feel? That's what we call Mercy. Because you know you killed them. You know you deserve the death penalty. You know you should die for what you've done. But someone showed mercy and you're not going to die. But actually set free. That's grace. Not only are you set free, but you are actually going to inherit. Someone's adopted you and kind of take you into their family and you're going to inherit millions and millions of dollars because the father of that family who's going to bring you into his life, into his family, is going to put you as an heir to the throne. That's grace. Do you deserve it? Absolutely not. That is what God has done for you and I. He says we can come into the throne of grace not only to obtain mercy, meaning he is not, we are not going to get what we deserve as rebellious, unbelieving people. Weak. Emotions crazy. But he understands those emotions. He, he, under, he can sympathize of the pain and the situation you find yourself in. It doesn't say, well, God can't have a baby so he doesn't understand what I'm going through right now. That's not what the scripture says. It doesn't say he understands. He, he lived out everything that we're going through. But he does understand pain, does he not? He, he does understand un, a, 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 a going down a path and roads that are, have not been taken before he was born as a baby but here we understand that we can come in boldly 
It means boldly, it means constantly, without reservation, without any fancy words. I, I can't talk to God because I don't have the words. Everyone else t- talks and prays a certain way. I can't. Get, that's just Christianese, okay? Just talk to him like you would talk to anybody else. That's why you can boldly come in. Confidence, persistence. The Greek word means to confidently speak freely to God. You're freely able to come boldly at any time, 24-7, boldly come to him for, for help, for need. Because it says right there, you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What boldly does not say, it does not mean that you can proudly come to God. You can't arrogantly come to God. You can't presumption with presumption come to God and say, you have to do whatever I want you to do. That is not how you approach your heavenly Father. The throne of grace. The throne of God. When we come, it says we may obtain mercy. May, that word may means you will obtain mercy. It's not like, you're, okay, I'm going to go to God and maybe he'll listen to me and, and have mercy on me. No, he says, I will. You can and you will obtain mercy. If you willingly come into the throne of grace. Mercy. Not getting what we deserve. And finding grace. Getting what we don't deserve. In our time of need. That time of need. What kind of need is that? The verse that came to me was Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. God can help you and I in that time of need where we come. Because he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Do you know he doesn't want you live an anxious, worried, filled life? He says to you, don't worry, come, obtain mercy, find grace in your time of need. Because God's word is a very honest, sincere instrument that God uses for his divine judgment. But his throne is both merciful and gracious. But it's true and right. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we can run to our great high priest. We at any time, we can, regardless of the circumstances you find yourself in, where you've really messed up, you can find help in that time of need to get your life straight. For most, the road is wide. But as a Christian... The road is narrow. I like narrowness like that. Don't give me too much 
flexibility. You know what I'm saying? Just point me in the direction and let me go in the most efficient, effective way. Just follow Jesus. I don't want to wander to the left and the right. I've done enough of that before I got saved. Wandering in the darkness was never good in my 20s. And so I hope and pray that today the Spirit of God has today touched your heart and today you will accept his invitation to come to the throne of grace.